You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique Tusay, here with another edition of Saved and Woke Afterthoughts. Before I get into the afterthoughts proper, though, I wanted to share with you all something that happened to me in the midst of recording this edition of the Saved and Woke podcast. And what happened is that I got convicted, y'all. So y'all may have remember me bringing up uh, something called the and campaign i really love that uh that organization um, because their their whole well i'll just tell you the and campaign is an organization with a mission to educate and organize christians for civic and cultural engagement that results in better representation more just and compassionate policies and a healthier political culture that's from their website and campaign.org they also have a podcast called church politics and on one of their recent episodes it just really hit me hard i really really enjoy it and i suggest you listen to uh, to the episode in its entirety but over the course of this particular episode they mentioned the the paris the parable of the pharisee and the tax collector in reference to how a lot of i guess more progressive christians are reacting to the insurrection at the the capital and he went the parable of the pharisee and the tax collectors comes from luke 18 verses 10 through 14 i'm going to read it and i'm coming from the esv version so this is starting at verse 10 of luke chapter 18 going through verse 14 two men went up into the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the pharisee standing by himself prayed thus god i thank you that i am not like the other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying god be merciful to me a sinner I tell you, and this is Jesus talking, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I must say that this was convicting to me because in this in this context, the aftermath of the insurrection at the Capitol, I was in the position of the Pharisee. I'm just looking at all these these domestic terrorists, no doubt. And I'm just like, wow. I am looking at looking at them, looking down on them from my from my podium of righteousness, feeling very pleased with feeling disgusted with them, but then also very pleased with myself. And that's not the position that uh, we are we're supposed to have. I'm not assuming that any of the people involved, I can't say whether they are feeling the way the tax collector in this parable has or not but i'm definitely not trying to be acting like the pharisee in 
in this case. Uh, another thing that they mentioned was that we shouldn't add to the gospel. And in the social climate that we're in right now, one way, one way that they said you can know that you're adding to the gospel is if you say things like this, and I'm definitely guilty of this, and I'm sharing this with you because this is what I'm going through right now, what I have to deal with personally, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one. But they said a lot of people add to the gospel by saying stuff like this. I don't see how you can be a Christian and blank or saying, I don't know how you can be a, I don't see how you can be a Christian, but X, Y, or Z. And what they, what they shared, what they reminded me of was that if, if whatever, if what fills that blank does not include, you know, I don't see how you could be a Christian and, you know, not believe that Jesus is the son of God, you know, okay. Yeah. That that's the gospel. Like you can't be a Christian and not believe that Jesus is the son of God because you don't believe the gospel. Um, you can't believe, or if you could say something like, you know, I don't see how you can be a Christian and not believe that Jesus rose or something like that. You know, that's perfectly okay to say. But what I have been saying and what I'm sure probably some of us are guilty of is saying, like, you know, I don't see how you could be a Christian and not support Black Lives Matter. I don't see how you could be a Christian and be okay with what's happening at the border. And the most dangerous thing is to decide that because somebody does believe something or is against your political views or your political ideology that any, even if they're, even though that person is a believer that, okay, yeah, you're a believer, but because you're belief, you believe differently uh, politically or you belong to one, to another political camp that I'm not going to have fellowship with you. Right. Um, as believers, we should fellowship with one another. Jesus said, you know, they will know that you are called by my name, by how you love one another. And we're supposed to come together on the basis of our unity in Christ, regardless of our race, you know, political ideology, socioeconomic status, nationality, you name it. And lately, I have used my interpretation of political right and social wrong, social right and wrong to be the guiding factor in who I choose to associate with, or, I mean, it's, it's different in, in COVID, but you know, the, the principle is still, still there. Uh, my heart was not in the right, in the right place. And of course we serve a God who sees all he judges us by our heart's intent. Um, and so not only, well, one thing I'll add is, so not only does Jesus he doesn't just expect this from us, he exemplifies it and he exemplified it this expectation that we would, that the basis of our fellowship, the basis of our unity would be in him in Luke 6, 12 through 16. This is where Jesus chooses his, or chooses the 12 out of all of his disciples. So I'm, I'm going to read Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So, before, when I first started reading the Bible, that probably would have been one of the sections that I might have just 
glossed over, maybe even skipped because whenever it was list genealogies or a bunch of names, I'm like, okay, let me get to the good stuff. Let me get to the gospel. Let me get to the meat. But Jesus here is showing us that our unity is in Christ, is, is based in him through a number of things, but definitely through his appointment to apostleship of both Matthew, who was a tax collector and government employee, government tool, and Simon, the zealot, whose purpose in life up until his encounter with Jesus was to overthrow the government at any cost and who was definitely not afraid to kill government officials, whether they be Roman soldiers or tax collectors like Matthew. So Jesus exemplifies, he shows us like that. Not only does he call us to this expectation, but he exemplifies it. I had never realized that until it was pointed out to me by someone else. I can't, I don't remember if it was my pastor or another podcast that I was listening to, but I think that is, that is huge. Uh, And so, I mean, after being reminded of this and listening to, like I said, the Ant Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, I was like, but how do we do this? And so I listened further. And like I said, I, you should definitely listen to their their uh, their platform on your own time so you can get the full context of what they were saying. But I, I was wondering while I was listening, okay, so yeah, we should, okay, yeah, you've convicted me. I feel bad about it, but how are we supposed to do this? But then, and I, I just, I, I love them for this because like, they just, they reminded me of something that I actually was already doing in this regard. And so, you know, the question is, how do we stand in relationship with believers, with other political affiliations, you know, and then, and by doing so prove to the world that we are indeed Christians on both sides, because we're in Christians. People will know that we are called by Christ's name, by how we love one another, not just the Christians who believe with us, but all believers, right? And basically, it was so, it was so simple. I I just chuckled because they're like, yeah, we we're supposed to remain in relationship and fellowship with other believers based off based off our unity in Christ. And when you're you know when you're getting together with those people, or when you're talking to them on the phone or zooming with them, Facetime or whatever the case may be, you don't have to talk about politics with them. Yeah, you are free from that, uh, and. I, I laughed, one, because it was so simple, and also because I was actually already doing this, all right? So, like, I am related to people who voted for Trump. I am friends with people who I think probably voted for Trump and who definitely don't seem as passionate or as convicted as I am about certain political issues. And be, But because I know that, I don't, I know I don't talk about those political issues with them and everything's fine. Like when I'm with my family members, I just talk about, you know, the random stuff we used to always, you know, you just kick it with your family, kick it with your friends. Um, there's another guy I met in a Bible study. And so I usually talk to him about the content of the Bible study. And I know we don't see eye to eye on everything. And that's perfectly, that's perfectly fine. And it's not, it's not necessary for us to, to, be in fellowship to call each other brothers because our unity is in Christ, not in our political affiliation. And part of the 
guess, foundation of saved and, the Saved and Woke podcast is that, you know, as believers, we're not supposed to find our home in any political camp because the way it's set up is not in alignment with with the Bible. So, I mean, there are definitely some things in the on the conservative platform that do overlap with with biblical principles and some things on the uh, the left or more progressive side of politics. But then there's both there are things on both sides that are just completely antithetical to to gospel truth. And so therefore we don't have a home there and therefore we should not base who we hang out with on the the guidelines of you know whatever the Republican, Democrat, or even like Libertarian and other parties platforms. So yeah, that's it. Now we're going to get into the afterthoughts for the last two episodes, uh, my review on why the racial wealth gap exists with Anthony O'Neill's white panel. So today's afterthoughts are going to be in reference to uh, part one and part two of Shannon and my review of Anthony O'Neill's white panel on why the racial wealth gap still exists. But before I get into that, I have some what I hope to be my final thoughts on the aftermath of the terrorist attack on the Capitol. Okay, people keep calling for for unity. A lot of Republicans, a lot of conservative politicians and just conservative thought leaders, the conservative media have been calling for unity, which is ridiculous for a number of reasons. But before I actually get into the specifics as to why it's ridiculous, I'm going to reference the people or specifically one person who are calling for unity and just why their behavior has been ridiculous. And I'm talking specifically about Senator Lindsey Graham. So yesterday, last night, I told my wife that this dude, Senator Graham, this dude gives me whiplash with how fast he changes directions. All right. Now, before I share with you some of his, uh, I would say, zigzagging uh, perspectives, I don't want to make it seem like I'm completely disregarding hypocrisy from Democrats. Democrats, uh, politicians in general are flip floppy and Democrats are not immune to this. Most of my political critique focuses on conservatives because they're who are in power right now and have been for the past four years. And more importantly, they are the party that most often makes themselves out to be the Christian party. All right. So this is since this is Lindsey Graham. He has been one of uh, recently he's been one of the president's largest supporters i mean he called after the election he told president trump he said you you fight you fight for this and he's been senator graham has been echoing the same lies as the president regarding voter fraud but i just thought it would be useful to to just hear it all at once all together his changing views and like i said it might give you whiplash, so be careful because I'm going to play some recordings of his some his his initial feelings about Trump, which were not very pleasant, and then immediately there's no there's no warning. It's just going to change to his current well, what he's at least saying publicly about Trump. And like I said, there's no warning. You might be confused, and you should be because 
that's it's not normal for people to just say one thing, take a stance, then in the next moment take a, the completely opposite stance and not address the shift to to act as if they had always been there. And I think that's that's the that's the biggest thing that I have an issue with. I think it's okay for for politicians to switch stances as long as they you know you addressed like you know what 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 where was the transition what brought you from this side to this side you know um but anyway without further ado we're going to get into this clip just just listen listen to the flip-floppiness i don't need flip-floppiness makes it sound kind of trivial but listen to senator graham's uh changing stances on president trump oh i should say there is some language but uh, i think y'all will be all right okay here we go we have a man who has become a friend of mine. It's shocking, isn't it? He's a good man. Lindsey Graham, Lindsey. My party is going back crazy. And I don't think he has the temperament of judgment to be commander in chief. You know how you make America great again? Tell Donald Trump to go to hell. Donald Trump is the most unelectable Republican I've seen in my lifetime. He's not fit to be president of the United States. The Republican Party has been kind here, bringing out the worst in us. Disparaged women, opportunistic, religious bigotry, race baiting, xenophobia. He's a jackass. No, I don't think he's a xenophobic, race baiting, religious bigot as president. You don't have to run for president and be the world's biggest jackass. I think he's a kook. I think he's crazy. You know, what concerns me about the American press is this endless, endless attempt to label the guy as some kind of kook, uh, not fit to be president. I don't believe he's a Republican. His policies are really bad for the country. I'm going to try to help our president, Donald Trump, be as successful as possible because, uh, number one, I agree with him mostly. I like the president. I want to help him. I hope he's successful. Trump's foreign policy is a complete a disaster. I think this strike was a game changer. There's a new sheriff in town. What President Trump has done is historic, deserves the Nobel Peace Prize, and then some. If Jeff Session is fired, there will be holy hell to pay. The president's entitled to attorney general he has faith in. I trust Deputy Attorney General Rothenstein. Here's what I say to Mr. Rosenstein. If you don't believe that the Department of Justice was off the rails, you're clearly not looking at the same Department of Justice I'm looking at. I just about had it with the Rosenstein approach here. Can you tell me what happened in that meeting, in your own words? No, I want to make sure that I can keep talking to the president. And somebody's got to explain this to Trump, so. I guess that'd be my job. If you don't like me working with President Trump to make the world a better place, I don't give a So yeah, I play that not to bash Republicans or conservatives. I play that because I think it's important that we as believers understand that we should not align ourselves, that we should not anchor ourselves to any political party. No man-made political party is going to align perfectly with the with the gospel and i think as believers it's our responsibility to hold all politicians republicans democrat conservative independent libertarian whatever accountable to what we know is true justice and and righteousness and i just played that clip just to show you how to give a concrete example of the hypocrisy that's endemic to american politics all right so now, like I said, I'm going to explain why these calls for unity after the siege on the Capitol are so ridiculous. Well, one, it's like they've been saying we should instead of impeaching the president, 
a second time. We should, you know, this is time for unity because it's going to further divide the country. First of all, they don't say how it's going to divide the country. Like, how are we going to be more divided than we are right now at this moment? They just say that, oh, we need unity. It's going to further divide us. How? No one says how because, I mean, they don't really believe that. They know it's false. They just don't want the president to be impeached. But the main reason why it's stupid to call for unity in the aftermath of this attack, which not only was an attack on democracy, it was just another display of, of white supremacy. And another slap in the face to black people, to people of color and to our to our allies who have been fighting for justice for us because it's been said more than once. But the police were very calm and very reserved in response to the siege. But had it been a Black Lives Matter protest and we've seen this, we have proof because at Black Lives Matter protests, they were they came ready. They came they were prepared for to to engage and to be violent with with uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, um, and even in the, and even in the past, like I saw I saw footage of some environmental activists protesting in in the House or the Senate. I can't remember which one, but anyway, there was about two hundred and seventy one of them there, and they were all arrested, all arrested swiftly just for sitting on the floor of of the House. They were all arrested. They were all charged. Yeah. And uh, again, just the, the, the hypocrisy is, is astounding. But the, the main reason why it's stupid to call for unity after this is because you cannot call for unity without, without first holding criminals accountable for their actions. It's just insane. And it's like, Again, I'm, I'm I'm a social worker. I'm I'm designed. I'm not designed. I'm I've been trained to look at things from a, a a wider angle than most people. And so, like, so when I see these people calling for 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 unity, I'm not looking at them just as individuals. I'm also looking at them in in, in their place in in history in the larger societal context, right? And so, right now, these people who are who have one been siding themselves with with Trump, and not just Trump, but just but with white supremacy. I'm looking at I'm looking at how, what 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 is white supremacy saying to us in response to these to this attack? So, white supremacy is saying, okay, white so white supremacy caused the riot, right? White supremacy enacted this riot. White supremacy attacked the attacked the Capitol, and in response to that attack, the white supremacy is now telling us, "Hey, don't hold us accountable. We should unify right now. Let's let, let let's you know let's come together." Which I hear is saying, "Okay, let's let's not hold me accountable. Let's not punish me. Let's not try to uproot me. Let's just come together so that I have time enough to regroup and try this again." That's really what I hear. But just from a more practical standpoint, it's like the the, the terrorists, they, they invaded the Capitol, right? Let's say someone invaded your home. They invaded your home. You subdue them. The police come and they ask if you want to press charges. And as you're about to say, yes, the, the assailant, the intruder is like, hey, man, right now is not the time for for more division we need to just unify we need to come together because you know we all live here we all out here in community we're all you know we're we're all part of this neighborhood with this 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 will just bring further division to to our wonderful happy community and this is not this this, this isn't who we are this isn't who we are right 
It's so, it's just, it's just dumb. It's dumb. You cannot have unity without first having accountability. It's mind boggling. And I, like I said, I really hope this is the last thing I have to say about the the terrorist attack because it's honestly just, just exhausting right now. Okay. Now I am ready to talk about my afterthoughts, which I told y'all I was very excited about because I do go into much detail about the, the white panel, specifically that one guy who was most, who was the most talkative, uh, who we were, we referred to as blue shirt, but I think, I think his name is chance. So I'm going to call him by his name. So chance was the main main one i had an issue with and i did have an issue just with how anthony o'neill seemed to be just co-signing everything that he said Uh, but i'm just going to address this guy's points so his main thing i think i believe he sounds like he's a psychologist and he, he said he knows the brain so he's either a psychologist so yeah it seems like a psychologist psychologist uh, psychiatrist, therapist, something like that. He says he knows the brain. My main issue that he's he's talking as if he's coming from a scientific standpoint, but to me, it really everything that he was saying was coming off more like pseudoscience, and it specifically he reminds me of the pseudoscience of phrenology. So for those of you that don't know, phrenology is a pseudoscience that involves the measurement of bumps on the skull to predict mental traits. And it is based on the concept that the brain is the organ of the mind and that certain brain areas have localized specific functions or modules. And basically by studying someone's skull, which is the house of the brain, you can tell things not only about that individual, but about the group that that individual belongs to. Phrenology is also where we got the four major racial categories of Caucasoid, Mongoloid, Australoid, and Negroid. Caucasoid also obviously referring to white people, Mongoloid to Asian, Australoid to the Aboriginal people in Australia, and Negroid to black people. So I'm not going to get too detailed in explaining the implications of all this, but the main thing is that the, the, I guess the father of phrenology, he eventually came out and said, you know what, this actually is not a scientific categorization of human people. It's only use is for the memory and how right he was because it, we did not remember. Most people did not remember that he said that this was not scientific, but we do remember Caucasoid, Mongoloid, Australoid and and Negroid. So all that is to say that everything that Chance is talking about, his science, his faux science sounds a lot like like this. And the the reason I say this is not science his his uh his impl- his conclusions anyway are not scientific conclusions is because a lot of what he says like okay, if you're talking if science is science no matter what period of time that it's in so gravity although sir isaac newton came up with whatever theory of gravity he came up with whenever he did you know after thousands and thousands of years of human existence you know you could go back to any time period and gravity would have been gravity if you would have take picked up an apple and let go of it it would have fallen to the ground so gravity is gravity is gravity 
However, he's talking all this stuff he's saying about, you know, it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. It does like depending on the time period and including the one that we're in right now, but it, it definitely is, 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 is really easy to refute. And because when he was talking about all this stuff about changing your mind and we and, and, and black people did this to 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 ourselves, I'm like, man, I, I'm just one is just baffling, which is why I still talking about it. It's difficult for me to, to form a sentences. But I'm just thinking, like, how what would you have said if you would have gone to, to the Jim Crow South and told these dis- disenfranchised black people that they had done this to themselves that they couldn't vote because of some lie some story that they had told themselves it's just completely ridiculous so that point is moot another thing that he said that i thought was really sickening and that anthony just seemed to take as gospel was the point where he said he said we do what we are and we don't do what we are not and he said that alligators, if you put your hand in there, the alligators are going to bite you, not because it's a bad or evil creature, but just because it's an alligator. And I think this is such a sickening, sickening, sickening thing to say, because on the one hand, like I said, he, he would agree that racism was a factor that was at play in people historically in people's in people's lives. But then he will. The next thing that he says shows that he doesn't believe that at all because what he's saying is he said he said we do what we are and we don't do what we are not so he's saying that black people don't get wealthy because that's just not who they are and that there's something something endemically wrong with with the black person or with with the black community which is a racist thing to say that's racism like if you're saying that oh yeah well we do this because we're like this and you don't do this because you're not like this that that that's racism the next thing he said he was like when he was talking about his father about his the, his father's upbringing the, the limitations that his father had and that he for a time had inherited he said you know my father had a sad story you know and i think this is one of the most disgusting things he said because like again, with everything he's saying, he's denying the real power and current, current, not just the historic, but the current influence of systemic and institutionalized racism. What he said here, my father has a sad story. This is dangerous. Uh, well, actually, before I even get into that, he said my father has a sad story. So basically, he's diminishing the ravages of racism throughout history. The ravage, the the he's. He's he's, uh, equivocating, I'm not sure if I'm using that word correctly, but he's equivocating racism. He's equivocating the genocide of Native people. He's equivocating, he's equating the transatlantic slave trade. He's equating ripping apart families, murdering entire people groups for the advancement of, of another of like I said, the ravages of the Jim Crow South, of the everything that white supremacy has done with, to from the KKK down to to voter suppression, historic and current voter suppression. That that's just a sad story. You're equating the 
individual experience of your father as an orphan to the hundreds, centuries of racist oppression for the advancement of another group of white people. You're equating those things. And that's just a sad story that we have to get over. Okay, this is dangerous because if racism is not the real problem, because he's saying it's not, because he said, no, that's not the real problem. If racism is not the real problem, then racism doesn't need to be stopped because the problem is you. The problem is the individual. You need to change. Your culture and upbringing is the reason for all your problems. And so therefore, racism doesn't need to be stopped. That's the real danger in what he's saying. All right. And I think this might have to do with the fact that, you know, as a psychologist, he, I mean, he psychology is hyper focused, dangerously so at times on the individual. And oftentimes, sometimes when it's not when it's applied, when it's misapplied, really neglects the influence that one's upbringing, one's culture, the history the, of the nation that you're in and the current sociopolitical reality, how that how that influences your choices, how you see yourself, what you believe, like he keeps talking about. He brought up recoding a lot and recoding is possible and essential, but we exist in a context in which we are constantly being reprogrammed by a racist white supremacist society. And until that is taken into account, then any personal achievements accomplished by an individual are just going to be isolated to to that one individual and the societal root of the problem will will never be will never be addressed and it doesn't seem like uh, chance is is aware of that um, another thing that I just noticed in his argument was that he doesn't realize that like the way money flows in white and black families more often than not it flows differently and really what I mean to say is that money flows differently when people come from poor families or poor areas than when they're coming from people or when they're coming from a family who is more stable, more well off. More often than not, white people tend to be of higher socioeconomic status and therefore have more wealth than black people. So in their families, money moves forward so that when people move out, when, when children grow up, they go on, on on their own and all they have to worry about is their selves and their children. They can, you know, invest, build their wealth and then and take that time to invest in the future of their of of their families, of their children and often, you know, even their grandchildren and and, and so and so forth. What happens with poor people who more often than not are people of color is. Instead of putting more money forward, we got to send our money back. Like I know a lot of times I've heard this said, like when people talk about getting rich, say the first thing they're going to do is they're going to buy their mama a house and get their mama out of there, out of the neighborhood where they grew up in. And so again, that the money is, is going back to, to parents, to grandparents, and often not just back, but to the sides, to aunts and uncles, to, to siblings, to friends, because not only when one person comes up, we feel this obligation that we have to, that we have to help all those, all those around us. You know, I'm blessed enough that I did not have to, I, I'm not, that's not my story, but I know 
most of the people I know, that's what they talk about. And most of the people that I have worked with, that's the context that, that they came up in. And so that's just another factor, like the racial wealth gap. Um, cause it's, it's more than about just income because, you know, two people from the same income, if you're put if your money is going in one direction forward, then you're, your financial situation is going to look a lot different. Your wealth is going to be a lot more than somebody who's got who has got to think about not only themselves, but also mama, grandmama, and them, and so forth. Um, next thing, and I just have these points listed off. I'm just going to go through them as they're listed. So he talks, Chance talks a lot about the brain. Like I said, I think he's a psychologist. And so I was like, okay, so if you want to talk about the brain, Let's talk about the brain then, but let's talk about biology. All right, so there's a chemical called cortisol that is released when the body is under stress, when the body's under intense stress, right? What cortisol does, it does a number of things. It, you know, activates, you know, the fight or flight response. It keeps the, the purpose of your body releasing cortisol is to keep you safe. So when the body, when you perceive that you are in, a stressful or dangerous situation, the body res, uh, releases cortisol into your brain and so throughout your body to, you know, help with that fight or flight response because, you know, you need to do that. You need to be aware. You need to be ready to either fight or escape if you indeed are in a stressful situation. And when you're in poverty, you're more, you're more likely to be in extended periods of stress, you're more likely to be just stressed on a day-to-day basis, which means that your body is constantly pumping out cortisol, right? And if you are a child growing up in that environment, that means that as a child, that when your brain is still developing, that your body is pumping out cortisol. And what cortisol does is it makes the parts of your brain that are hyper-focused on the right now, on, on the present, on on threat on fear on possible on 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 sources of possible danger and harm that's what your those parts of your brain develop whereas the other parts of your brain that house you know critical thinking that house you know the part of your brain that thinks about the the future and consequences and long-term planning like it le- legit when people when people do brain scans of kids who were brought up um in high stress environments like those parts of the brain are underdeveloped and he's talking like he's talking about science but again he's not looking at all of the science i think his his scientific info that he's bringing up isn't really it's not really basically he's got a biased opinion and he just uses science whenever it supports what he already believes. So that's it. Those are all of my critiques on brother chance because he was the most outspoken voice on that white panel. I hope you found some of this information helpful. Oftentimes when people come from a scientific or supposedly objective standpoint it can you know kind of give you pause and might make you reconsider some things but he was just he was off base and i hope that this was helpful 
probably by the time most of you all listen to this, we will have a new president. So just know this was recorded before the inauguration, which is why I was referring to Donald Trump as president at the beginning of this episode. Looking forward to our next show. But until then, as always, y'all know what to do. Keep the faith and stay woke.